Allow us to receive your truth and know your truth. Because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And it's Happy Resurrection Sunday. If you have your Bible, if you wouldn't mind turning to Exodus chapter 16. Um, if you don't have one, there should be one in front of you that you can uh, turn to. And if you don't have one at home, there's some Bibles on the back table. Feel free to grab one on your way out. Love for you to have that. Exodus chapter 16, starting at verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portions every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the morning meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you have grumbled against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat, as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning. As Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. 
Moses says, eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that you may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the 10th part of an ephah. Well, have you ever uh, seen something that was so interesting or unusual or different that you thought to yourself, what in the world is this? Uh, I was cleaning an attic not too long ago and, um, of an old house and the previous owners had abandoned this attic and most of the stuff that was up there was garbage but I found this little cedar box I thought mm, that's kind of cool and it had a little lock and a little, um, some keys that were attached to the lock so I took the, the little cedar box and I got back to my office and I was about to clean it out and I, I opened it up expecting to find nothing in there and then I found something in there that prompted me to think to myself what in the world is this. I actually took a picture of it. We have a picture here because I sent it to some other people because I was trying to figure out what in the world it was. Somebody had obviously taken some time to, to save this, put it in a bag. It kind of looks like some crushed shells. I have absolutely no idea what it was. Uh, I did some research online, still have absolutely no idea. In a similar way, the people of Israel are... Uh, have been led out of Egypt. God has delivered them out of Egypt and God has provided for them every step of the way. And God's going to provide for them and while he's providing for them, they're going to question and wonder about his ways, about how he's providing for them and what he's providing for them. So first, they complain that they don't have water. God provides water for them. Second, they complain that they don't have food. They grumble against Moses and Aaron. They say, why didn't you just let the Lord kill us back in Egypt? At least we had food there to eat. We had pots full of meat. We had bread to eat. Yet God provides for them, and he provides uh, bread from heaven, the bread that comes down from heaven. And uh, they go out in the morning, and there's dew that's on the ground. And when the dew leaves the ground, they find this type of bread. And when they see it, they say, what is this? What in the world is this substance that's on the ground? And they call it manna, which means, what is it? And they should have known what it was because God had told Moses and, and Moses and Aaron had in, told, in turn told the people what was going to happen, that God was going to provide for them bread. But still, when God provides, they question what he's doing. And I think this is a theme that happens a lot throughout Scripture. We see this 2,000 or many thousand years later. The people of Israel were expecting that a Messiah would come, a Redeemer would come who would redeem the people from their sins and from their enemies. But when that Messiah came, they questioned, who is this? What's he about? 
Why is he here? We see in Luke chapter 5, the Pharisees say, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus' disciples ask him after he calms the storm, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water that they obey him? When Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the whole city was stirred up and they said, Who is this? Who is this man who comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey? And I think these questions that the Israelites were asking were similar questions that maybe we sometimes ask today. Today is Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And I think some of us maybe are asking similar questions. What is this all about? What is this Easter holiday about? And, you know, we know the basics of what happens. We know that Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. We know that he rises again to new life. And so we know the basics of the story. But deeper than that, we ask the question, what does this really mean for me today? What does this mean for my nine to five? What does this mean for me as I'm struggling with cancer? What does this mean for me as I'm struggling to pay the bills? What does this mean for me as my marriage is falling apart? What is this event that happened thousands of years ago? What does it mean for me today? In other words, what's the point or the goal of Easter? And I think when we think about this question, I think it might be surprising to us when we find the answer. Even for some of us who have been people who have been Christians for our whole life, who have been in the church, I think when we really get to the deep uh, root of what the answer is to this question, we might be surprised. Because I think sometimes we might miss the point a little bit. A couple of years ago, uh, one of my uncles, not the one who's here today, but a different one, he sent out a text message to all of his nieces and nephews. And I don't remember exactly uh, what the text message said, but it said something basically that there was going to be this surprise and we were supposed to come over to his house for this surprise at this certain time. And he wasn't going to tell us or give us a clue of, about what this surprise was. So I'm kind of thinking about this and it was, you know, a number of weeks off. So I'm thinking, what, what is a surprise? Why would he call all of us together? So I came to the conclusion that there must be some big announcement that he's going to make. That he must be planning to do something really wonderful for us or he's planning on retiring or just some big announcement that he wanted everybody to be get together in the same place. So we get there and he gives us this scenario for this game. It was this kind of mystery murder type game where we had to kind of figure out together who the murderer was, you know, the fictional murderer. It's like, okay, so we're doing this, and then when we get to the end of it, when we all work together and solve it, then we're going to find out what the announcement is, right? So I honestly wasn't all that into the game. I wasn't, uh, you know, I just kind of wanted to get it over with. Okay, let's just get to the announcements. Let's figure this out so we can get to the reason why we're here. Then we got to the end of it, and I realized... There was no announcement. The reason that we had come was to play the game together. And a few weeks after that, we were, uh, some of us were invited back to play the game again, or a similar game. And that time I actually really enjoyed it and appreciated it for what it was because I knew what we were doing. I wasn't looking past it and looking to something else. 
And I think in a similar way, I think sometimes we miss the point of God's provisions. And so because we miss the point, we don't fully appreciate his provision or respond appropriately to it. And I think that's what happens to the Israelites. They're crying out for bread. And in that culture, bread was something that was very important. Uh, it was kind of a staple of society, of society, staple of their diet. When we think about bread today, sometimes we think about it as kind of a side that we would eat. Some of us maybe don't eat much bread or any bread at all. But in that day and age, bread was very important. And so much so that sometimes they would substitute the word for food for bread. For example, in Jesus, when Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, he says, Give us this day our daily bread. He's substituting food for bread. Likewise, in Deuteronomy, it says that man does not live by bread alone. He's talking about food in general. And so the Israelites are hungry and they're crying out for bread and God rains down bread from heaven. And God commands them, you just eat what you need for the day and don't save anything for the next day. But they save some for the next day and it rots and worms get in and they have to throw it out. But God is provide, provides for them the next day. And then on the seventh day, God says there's not going to be any manna that comes upon the ground. So you need to save double for uh, on the sixth day. And on the sixth day, when you save double, it, will, it won't rot. It will uh, be preserved for the next day. But we see the people of Israel, some of them, they don't listen. Even though they've been told this, on the seventh day, they go out, they go out and are looking for bread on the ground. They're like, where is it? I thought it was going to be here every day. And I I think what's happening here is that the Israelites see the bread as kind of a commodity. They see it as something that they need to survive, something that they need to sustain them. But God is trying to teach them that what you need to sustain you is not just the bread. What you need to sustain you is me. The bread is going to rot each day, but each day I'm going to be with you. Each day I'm going to provide for you. And it says in the text that the people of Israel ate manna for 40 day, or forty years as they were in the wilderness. That each day God provided for their needs. And so God shows them, you don't just need the bread, you need me. You need a provider. The bread that you have will spoil, but I will never fail you. I'll always provide for you. We see something similar that happens in John chapter 6 where people, again, mistake God's provision. Jesus is doing miracles and wonders and a whole crowd of people come to him. And he talks to the disciples. He's like, let's feed these people. These people need to eat. They say, we, we don't have anything to feed them. And they go around and look for food and they find five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus multiplies those five loaves and two fish and he Feeds everybody, all those 5,000 people. Then after that, he gets into a boat, goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And after this grand miracle, people are following him, trying to find him. And they find out where he is, and they're all running toward him because of this miracle that he's done. Look at what Jesus says to him in John chapter 6. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He says the reason that you're seeking me is because you're hungry. You're looking for bread. 
And yet Jesus encourages them to seek the bread that the Son of Man will give you. He he continues and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. He says, I'm the bread of life. Just like in the Old Testament, just like Moses commanded you to get manna. I am the bread that you need that will sustain you day after day after day. Don't simply seek the bread that will be moldy by nightfall, but seek the bread that will satisfy your heart forever. So how does this relate to Easter? So we ask the question, what's the ultimate goal of Easter or the resurrection? We think about that question. Some of us might say, well, the goal of the resurrection is that our sins would be forgiven, that we would be free from guilt, that we would have a pure conscience. Now, that's true. It's wonderful. It's a blessing of the resurrection, but I don't think that's the ultimate goal of the resurrection. Some people would say the ultimate goal is that we wouldn't die, that we would be able to live forever and we would be able to see our loved ones who have passed away. And that's wonderful and that's true. I don't think that's the ultimate goal of the resurrection either. Some people would say that the goal of the resurrection is that we'd be able to change, that we'd become different people, that we'd change from the direction we were going, that we'd be free from addictions or sin. Now that's true, and that's a blessing, and that's something that God does in our hearts, but I don't think that's the ultimate goal of Easter. Some of us would say, The goal of Easter is that we would learn to get along with each other, that our relationships would be healed. And again, that's wonderful, and it often happens for people who know Jesus, but that's not the goal of Easter. That's not the goal of the resurrection. So what is the goal of Easter? The goal of the resurrection. The goal of the resurrection is that we would be able to partake of the bread, that we would get Jesus that we would be able to have a relationship with the Father. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. John 17.3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says, This is what eternal life means. It's about knowing me and knowing my Father. And so Jesus came to the earth to die, to rise again, so that we might have a relationship with the Father. The goal of Easter is that we would have the opportunity to partake of the bread of life and never be hungry again. Because the truth is, we all have a hunger for God. Whether we realize it or not, we all have a hunger and a thirst for God. Oswald Chambers put it this way, He said, the man or woman who does not know God demands an infinite satisfaction from other human beings, which they cannot give. And in the case of the man, he becomes tyrannical and cruel. It springs from this one thing. The human heart must have satisfaction, but there's only one being who can satisfy the last abyss of the human heart. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a movie called uh, The Tree of Life. And it's about a family in the 50s. And they're kind of a normal, everyday family. They have three kids. 
And uh, the oldest of the boys, uh, his name's Jack. And Jack is kind of torn because his father is a very authoritarian person and he wants to kind of save his son from the cruel realities of the world. But his mother is very graceful and very loving. And so he kind of, kind of brings that into his spirituality and how he relates to God. And in one scene, he's praying to God and he gives kind of acceptable, kind of normal prayers that people would think of to be normal prayers. He says, help me not to sass my dad. Help me not to get dogs and fights. Help me be thankful for everything I've got. But then after giving those kind of perfunctory, habitual prayers, he gets kind of raw and honest. And he asks God, he says, where do you live? Then he continues back to his normal list that he knows he should be praying. He says, help me not, not to tell lies anymore. But then once again, he shifts back and he says, God, are you, are you watching me? I want to know what you are. I want to see what you see. We all have a desire to know God, to know where we come from, to know where we're going, to know the God who knit us together in our mother's wombs. Our circumstances in life can bring us some matter of satisfaction. We can have good things in our life that can bring us joy, but that joy is temporary and often not complete. We can have the best things that happen to us in life. We can have you know, a good job and kind of get to the pinnacle of our career. We can have a good family. We can have good hobbies that we enjoy doing. But we'll always feel empty without God. There'll always be something missing without God. Only God can give us that ultimate satisfaction. Tim Keller put it this way. Do you remember when your mother used to say, don't eat candy before meals? Why did she say that? Because she knew it would ruin your next meal. The trouble with eating candy is that it gives you an instant sugar buzz and then you don't feel hungry. Candy masks the fact that your body needs proteins and vitamins. The sugar buzz from candy masks your hunger for the real nutrients that you don't have. Things like sex, power, money, success, as well as favorable circumstances act like spiritual sugar. Christians who have these spiritual candies may say, sure, I believe in God and I know I'm going to heaven, but they're actually basing their day-to-day joy on favorable circumstances. When the circumstances change, it drives us back to God because when the sugar disappears, when the candy gets taken away, we're forced to pursue the feast that our souls really crave. We'll hunger for the spiritual nutrients we really need. Truth is, we all get hungry. And maybe we try to fill that hunger with different things, but those things won't ultimately satisfy us. In the end, they'll just make us more hungry. Maybe we even approach Easter the same way. We see the cross and the resurrection as a means to get the bread. As a means to get what we want. We see the cross and resurrection as something that we want because we know that because of that we can live forever. We can have better relationships. Maybe we could be healed of an addiction. Maybe we think we could have a better financial situation. And we use the cross and resurrection as a means to get the bread. And God is standing before us and He's saying, I am the bread. I am the one that you need. I'm the one who can make you whole and complete. 
When I was dating my wife, um, I worked really hard to try to impress her. And I fell in love with her a little bit sooner than she fell in love with me. And so I did a lot of things to try to win her heart so that she would fall in love with me. And uh, I did a lot of nice things for her. Like, for example, on one of the dates that we went on, I made her pumpkin pie. And I wasn't much of a baker, but made her a pie, gave her a pie. Uh, I would bring her flowers for some of our dates. We would uh, go out to eat, and of course, I'd pay for the bill. Uh, We met just before her birthday, and for her birthday, I bought her a Bluetooth speaker and some other things. And eventually, over time, as we got to know each other, we indeed fell in love, and she fell in love with me. But imagine that wasn't the case. Imagine she just started to fall in love with the things that I did for her. Imagine after I made her the pumpkin pie, she says, well, I really like the pumpkin pie. Do you think that you can make me a blueberry one the next time I see you? And then after I make her the blueberry one, I said, well, I haven't tried a pecan pie in a while. Could you make me a pecan pie? And I I really like those flowers that you gave me. Do you think that you could get them like all the time so I always have a vase that's full of nice, fresh flowers? And I, I actually like to go out to eat with you. So do you think that you could get me some like gift cards and uh, gift certificates so I can go out to eat whenever I want? And uh, that Bluetooth speaker, it's really nice, but the problem is I can't use it with my TV. So do you think you could work on kind of making my home entertainment system a little bit better? <laughs> if that was the case, I would be like, I think you're kind of missing the point. I mean, if, if you want those things, you can call up the Geek Squad or you can call up the bakery or the florist. I'm not doing those things because I want to just give you a bunch of stuff. I'm doing these things because I love you and I want you to love me in return. I want you to know me and have a relationship with me. And that's what God does for us. He sent his son Jesus to the earth to live a sinless life, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again from the grave. Not so that he could give us some stuff. Not so that our material possessions might increase. Not so that we could just have a more happy life apart from Him. He came to the earth to give us Himself. Because He knows that that's the only thing that will satisfy us. When we partake of the bread of life, we'll never hunger again. The goal of Easter is that we would have the opportunity to partake of the bread of life. And never be hungry again. For those of us who are believers today... We can rejoice in that fact. That we never have to be hungry again. That no matter what we face in life, we always have Christ that lives inside of us. We always have that relationship with Him that gives us a a mooring and an anchor for our souls. And today we can rejoice and thank Him for His sacrifice, for His victory over the grave, and and, and giving us the opportunity to know Him forever. For those of us who maybe are here, maybe we feel like a little bit empty. Maybe things have gone, haven't gone our way in life. Maybe they have, but we feel like there's something missing in our lives. Today can be the day that you come to know the God who created you. The God who knit you together in your mother's womb. The God who loved you so much that he was willing to die on a cross for you. And you can know him today. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here and you've never entered into a relationship with Christ. Maybe you've come to church. Maybe you 
know a lot about Christianity, but you say, I, I don't really know God. I don't really have a relationship with God. I feel empty in my soul. Today's the day you can turn from that. Today's the day that you can come to know Jesus. And if that's you, with every head bowed now closed, you might just pray a prayer after me. It's not a magical prayer, but it's just a reflection of your heart inviting him to come into your life. If that's you today, repeat something like this in your heart. God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I have fallen short of your glory. And God, I know that I need you in my life more than I need anything else. More than I need your gifts, I need your presence. I need a relationship with you. God, I'm asking you to come into my life, to change me, to make me new, to give me the joy and the hope and the forgiveness that only you can give. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and that was you, I'm going to ask you to do something that take a little bit of courage, but nobody said that following Jesus would be, be easy. If that's you, if you wouldn't mind just raising your hand so we can pray for you. We're not going to point you out. I'm not going to make you sing a solo or anything like that. If you just raise your hand, if you've prayed that prayer, and, I, and we can pray for you. So if you prayed that prayer, if you just raise your hand at this, at this time. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you gave us the gift of yourself. The greatest gift that we could ever imagine. The gift that we need. The gift that satisfies our souls. Lord, as we carry out our our everyday lives. As we go to work. As we go to school. As we do whatever it is that we do, Lord. I would pray that we would carry the hope of Easter with us. That you would satisfy our souls no matter where we go. That we wouldn't look to other things, to sin and addictions to satisfy us. But that we'd find our hope and satisfaction in you and you alone. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.